You're listening to SequelCast 2 and Friends, a proud part of the Greenlit Podcast Network. This is a vintage episode of SequelCast 2 and Friends. Audio quality may not be up to current standards. We apologize for the nastier audio artifacts. If you please, Mr. Scrooge, it's gotten colder. Yeah. Any bookkeeping staff would like to have an extra shovel full of coal for the fire? We can't do the bookkeeping. Yeah. All of our pens have turned to inksicles. Yeah. Our assets are frozen. How would the bookkeepers like to be suddenly... Unemployed! I believe you convinced them once again, Mr. Scrooge. <laughs> After the credits roll, there's always more to tell. Especially when the video sales are doing really well. From shock treatment to Jason X to Police Academy 6. This is Sequel Cast. And they are unsurpassed at following the franchise until the better end. This is Sequel Hello and welcome to the sequel cast. The sequel cast is a show that looks at movies and franchise one film at a time. We are in the middle of looking at the various Muppet movies. Uh, this time around, we are looking at the Muppets Christmas Carol, released in 1992, directed by Brian Henson, son of the late Jim Henson. Written by uh, Jerry Joel, uh, based off the book The Christmas Carol by Charles Dickens, with the original songs by Paul Williams and a score by Miles Goodman. This was released through uh, Walt Disney Pictures, which was unusual for a Muppet film at the time. Um, well, at the time, I believe, Mike, uh, the, the Walt Disney Company had the rights to the Muppets. Yeah, I think they might have had the rights, but they didn't own them outright. Uh, what, you, who, you destroyed uh, Thrasher? Were you about to ask me who just spoke? I'm drinking some peppermint schnapps on ice, and it was mid, uh, mid-sip. Um, <laughs> what are you drinking, Thrasher? I'm enjoying crystal clear water. Ah. Water. Nature's vodka. Okay. Uh, My- Michael Caine stars as Scrooge in this. Oh, yeah. And did you know there's two different cuts of this film? Yes, I did, actually. We're going to get into that, but I found that very surprising. Um... So yeah, uh, you know, a Muppet Christmas Carol means a lot to me because uh, around this time, uh, December 92, my family had just relocated from Centerville, Virginia to the uh, metro Atlanta, Georgia area. And, uh, you know, that, that month, I think within one week of each other, we saw Disney's Aladdin and Muppet Christmas Carol. Nice. And, um... Disney's so, Aladdin, I mean, I, friend of the show. Yeah, friend. We covered the uh, Disney's animated Aladdin trilogy. You can check all those out at SequelCast.com. Um, pretty cool stuff. And yeah, um, what's interesting is if uh, Muppets Christmas Carol sadly is only on DVD, but on there there's a, a film commentary for the whole film, an audio commentary by director and son of Jim Henson, Brian Henson. Nice. So I listened to some of that, and that's very interesting. But before we get into Muppets Christmas Carol... We'll pick off where we left off last week in our Muppets Take Manhattan episode. We're going to touch on the death of Jim Henson. He died in 1990, two years before Muppets Christmas Carol. And I remember very distinctly what happened on that day for me. I, my family was having their very 80s breakfast of uh, eating half an orange with two pounds of sugar dumped on it. Even though it was the and, 90s. Uh, right. Or late, early, early 90s. We're eating that for breakfast. 
as we're about to go off to our weekend tennis lesson. Uh, another very 90s, 80s, 90s theme. Did you hit and, your tennis um, instructor in the knees with your racket? I did that with the golf instructor. Well, I thought you might be two for two. No, not two, just one for two on that. One for two, well for one, who cares? Um, anyway, so I heard all that, and, and I we down to have breakfast, and my dad walked up and told my sister and I, oh, you know Jim, and we knew who Jim Henson was from uh, things like Labyrinth, Muppets Take Manhattan, that's what Muppet Babies, the cartoon a bit, that's what we knew it all from. So he was like, Jim Henson, the guy who did the Muppets, he, he died, and uh, what my dad said, and I'm paraphrasing here, but he's like, he died because uh, he, was, he was stupid, he had pneumonia, and he didn't go see the doctor, and he died from it. And uh, I was very, very sad for quite some time. Because that's the way you want to phrase it when a, when a childhood hero <laughs> passes away when you're still a child. Right, right. Although, yeah. although that being said, I, I I had a kind of similar experience because I think. Oh yeah. Well, because you know I because you know I, I, I recall I don't I don't recall how I found out. I suspect it was my father reading about it in the morning paper. Right, you know, and it, and it was it, probably probably the it, it, in the death of Jim Henson for me was the first time any any artist I really cared about uh, passed away. Mm, so and, and it right. is and it is yeah. jarring when that happened. Although it's also you know I I guess my my immediate immediate concern was oh God his legacy will end now we will never be entertained by the Muppets again. Uh, but about uh, about a week or two after Jim Henson passed away. Uh, in my school, two of the teachers were talking about it. I think it's because one of the teachers was a big fan of Sesame Street. Now, mm. now keep in mind, this is like a, this is like a grade school. This is in kindergarten, but there, but one of the teachers was a big fan of Sesame Street and like had some Sesame Street paraphernalia decorating her desk and whatnot. And so you know they're talking about Henson and one of the the teachers. And I remember I don't remember her name, but she just had the best Southern accent. And and she basically said right. said the same thing that he he died because he was stupid and didn't just go to the doctor when he needed to. I, I think you know if, the only reason why you'd phrase it that way to a child might be just to you know stress the importance. If you feel bad, see a doctor. These sort of basic life uh, life lessons. Or if you have if you feel bad and have insurance, go see a doctor. Yeah, uh, yeah. But uh, but what really happened, Thrasher? Because I don't really know this. Do you? Pardon. What really happened about Jim Henson dying? Uh, what was the real reason? Is that kind of the truth, or well, well, is I mean, I, I can't say firsthand, but it, but it, but as I understand it, he was feeling a little, a little sick, but he didn't know how bad what he had was. So like, he it's it's not like he just kind of brushed off going to the doctor. It didn't feel bad, and as I understand it, anyway, it to him he didn't feel like he thought he just had kind of a like a bad cold he didn't think it had progressed to pneumonia mm. but but i will right. freely admit that's not like that's not like first hand from any kind of primary source yeah of course i'm reading that there's a really great uh, muppet reference site uh, at muppet.wikia.com and they say he became infected with an extremely rare bacterium called group a streptococcus uh, which is a rare form of strep throat and, uh, you know, he died less than a day after checking into the ER. Uh, so, right. I mean, it, it's terribly sad. And yet the Muppet, around the time of his death, apparently, you know, Jim Henson had been trying to sell the Muppets to Michael Eisner and I guess was going to go do more creative stuff that wasn't Muppets related necessarily. And, um, you know, but after his death, uh, those negotiations kind of went nowhere, and so Disney did not uh, wholly own the Muppets. 
until February of 2004 and um, under the Muppet Studio label. So pretty interesting stuff. And, you know, the rights to the Muppets kind of bounced around for a while. I think, like, around the time Muppets in Space came out and there was that reboot uh, Muppet, the newer Muppet show, was that called Muppet Hour? I don't remember. Well, no, the the, the Muppets the kind of 90s? entered a, we- a weird limbo after the death of yeah. Jim Henson in this movie, but one of the projects they did is they tried to do a, night, a late 1990s revival of the Muppet show, which is quite good, but not, at, it's, it's good, but not great. It was called Muppets Tonight, and the premise was, yeah, rather right. than doing an old-timey variety show, they would try to make it more like a modern late night talk show. And uh, mm-hmm. one of the big changes they made, which I, I I think it was the right choice, but it probably did alienate a lot of viewers, is that Kermit the Frog wasn't the host of the show. He was a producer yeah. working behind the scenes. The host of the show was this Muppet uh, called uh, Clifford, who was this Muppet with dreadlocks who had kind of a hip attitude, who had been introduced on the Jim Henson Hour, which was the last show that Jim Henson did before he passed away. We'll table this sort of discussion about the TV shows for the uh, episode of Sequel Cast we do focusing on the spinoff stuff. All right. Um, uh, apart from the films, but that's a good teaser for all that. But anyway, yeah, very sad. So, I mean, going into this, 92, it had been almost a decade since the 84 release of Muppets Take Manhattan. And um, unlike the other ones, you know, this was a attempt to, to take the Muppets and kind of combine it with... Uh, the classic story of, uh, I was going to say children's literature. I guess that's the case. I don't know. Uh, I wouldn't but call it children's literature. It's it's one of those books that, well, when this movie when this movie was pitched, it probably sounded like a sure thing. It's got the Muppets. It was pit- this was meant got- to be a TV movie originally. Huh. And, uh, you know, it just became a feature film um as the, as they developed it. But, but it's, it's, the, and- it's the Christmas Carol, which is... Next to the, which is probably, when it comes down to it, A Christmas Carol is probably the most retold story in Western literature. In film, almost certainly, right? Film, like Dracula, maybe. I don't comic know. books. It's, it's a, yeah. a structure and a theme that, that keeps coming back. True, and I think it's a story that even if you're watching a really shitty version, it still works. I mean, as a kid, I loved the Disney A Christmas Carol TV movie. Um, with Scrooge McDuck as Ebenezer Scrooge. Oh, that's got some spooky, all that, all that dark stuff. stuff in it. Right. Uh, and that was based off a record album originally um, with that same concept. But Muppet's Christmas Carol, yeah. And uh, it's interesting listening to the commentary by director Brian Henson. He said they were really trying to be, even though um, this was presented by Walt Disney Pictures, they were trying to be daring and trying to make a really faithful, aside the fact from that it had Muppets in it, be faithful to the Charles Dickens text. And so a lot of the dialogue and, uh, you know, the narration by Gonzo is straight out of the, I'd almost, I, I don't think it's, I think it's a bit too short to call it a novel. You'd call it a novella, I think, by modern standards. The Christmas Carol by Dickens, wouldn't you say? Yeah, yeah, but but yeah, I mean, it, it even opens by just directly quoting the, the, the way the book opens. Marley was dead to begin with. And, I mean, it wouldn't be until, I mean, another real faithful uh, adaptation of this was the Christmas Carol um, motion capture CG film where Jim Carrey did most of the parts. Yeah, it had Um, a rocket ship ride, uh, just like in the original novella. Oh, Jesus. Okay, except from some of that 3D chicanery. (laughs) It's very, very close. It was exactly like the source material. It has a lot of very similar dialogue and things to what you see in Muppet's Christmas Carol in the original story. 
It's not the Jim Carrey one's not bad. I, I'd recommend that one as well. But Muppets Christmas Carol is very good as well. Has a lot of heart. Uh, returning to do uh, the songs is Paul Williams, who did the songs in the original Muppet movie. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I, as we've been doing with Muppet Christmas Carol. Um, well, I talked about when I first saw this film. Did you see this with your family uh, during Christmas time? Uh, yeah, I, I first saw it uh, with my family uh, opening in the theaters opening weekend. We had a real good time. Hmm. Um, watching this now, uh, I haven't seen this whole movie all the way through. For My sister and I and my mom would watch this every Christmas for several years. But watching it now, I find it... Uh, really, really slow-paced, and it's not trying to be as funny as the other Muppet films, I think. It's trying to be serious and austere, and it's uh, it's more daring in that way than I expected. Yeah, they let um, most of the comedy that happens, they trust in the hands of Gonzo and Rizzo. Like, the the mm-hmm. actual progression of the story, it's, it's as you said, it's very faithful to Dickens, and they were the Muppets were really trying to go for some emotional resonance for this one. Yeah, they play it fairly straight. Um... What do you think about the music by Paul Williams compared to some of the music in the other Muppet films we've been talking about? Pretty good. You can check it's, all that. St- it's not. You can check. It's not. It's not as instantly memorable as the a lot of the music from the the first three Muppet films, but I think that's because the music is so tightly tied to the story. Once you, if you take any of the songs from this movie and pull it uh, and pull them out of the movie, you lose so much context. Right, I do want to point out uh, our theme song for the sequel cast was written and performed by Mark with a C. Check his stuff out at markwithac.com. And you can check out uh, classic episodes of the sequel cast at sequelcast.com. Look us up on iTunes or go to facebook.com slash sequelcast. And a great way to listen to us is on Stitcher, an app that lets you listen to Sequelcast on the go. Check them out at stitcher.com slash sequelcast. If you sign up through that link, you get a chance to win 100 American dollars. Listen to us on Stitcher. Okay. <laughs> Thanks uh, for quoting my song, man. Yeah, yeah, you're welcome. Anytime. Uh, Muppet Christmas Carol. Right, I think the songs... Uh, I, I like the one near the end. It's true whenever you find love, it feels like Christmas. I think that one's good. And the opening one, I, it might be my favorite from the film. Just, uh, there goes Mr. Humbug introducing the character of Ebenezer Scrooge, and they film it so you don't see Ebenezer Scrooge's face until the end of the song. Yeah, you just see these boots stomping through slush. It really makes him seem imposing. And the music, too, is very dark and imposing sounding. And uh, one thing the audio commentary by director Brian Henson points out, which I never noticed before, the costumes the Muppets wear are all like Victorian clothing. Yeah. Uh, and the buildings all look, you know period and all this stuff it's it's very very uh, detailed in that way that i don't think a muppet movie has been before or perhaps since they're really trying to go for something different with this one even though muppet treasure island the film we talk about next week uh is yet again taking muppets combining it with a, a chassis a classic tale from literature that that one is more typical muppet zaniness this one they said okay we're going to play it mostly straight even though it's these wacky characters and we're going to tell a classic story uh, as it was meant to be tell- told. It just happens to have Muppets in it. Uh, and you also see, in this one, a lot of um, Muppets that look like humans, right? Well, th- there's a there's Some. a tremendous variety of, uh, of Muppets in this film. There, I, I can't say that there are too many, like, direct human-y ones, but... Uh, but I mean, there there are Muppets from Fraggle Rock that that, uh, 
that appear in this. There's Muppets. Yeah, from, the dog. The shit from the shows that have appeared that appear in this. They're everywhere. Uh huh. Right. I, like, you know, um, uh, my wife Havana, uh, she wants to be on the show for one of these Muppet shows. We might have her on for Treasure Island and have to record that on the weekend or something. Because, uh, but we'll talk about that off show. But uh, that's her favorite. But I, but she's normally doesn't watch movies with me for the sequel cast because it's not her kind of movie. But the Muppet she get all excited about, and she wanted to watch all of them except for the Christmas Carol. And I said, why? And she says, eh, I don't like that one. It's boring. And um, I mean, the pacing, it, it's more of a slower, thoughtful adult, adult pacing. It's not a gag every second like a Mel Brooks film or, or older Muppet films. Well, the thing is, I guess, you know what it is? Because um, all, all the, the other Muppet movies have either been just old-fashioned entertainment movies or comedies. Sketch this, comedy, yeah. No, I wouldn't say sketches, but uh, or sketchy. But the the Muppets Christmas Carol, it, it's about as close as they've ever come to doing just a straight Muppet drama. Right. I mean, it's a straw narrative all the way through, and uh, even though you get sort of thrills of oh oh Kermit the Frog is Bob Cratchit, oh the uh, Statler and Waldorf are the brothers Marley, instead of the traditional brother uh, Marley. Well, did you did um, you catch did you catch the gag with the Marley brothers? Which. Which one? Okay, well, remember, because in, in the original story, it's Jacob Marley, but in this one, it's the the, the Marley brothers. Their names are uh, are Jacob and Robert Marley, so the other brother is Bob Marley. <laughs> it's pretty sly. <laughs> yep. And um, I'm looking at the poster. It features a Muppet that's a rabbit. Uh, yeah, being a minor the character from some of the shows, right? Well, being, being the bunny first appeared in this, uh, in this Muppet... Uh, special that was kind of it was it was presented as an as an Easter special, but it really doesn't have anything to do with Easter unless you go back to the pagan or like the p- pagan fertility uh, holiday kind of origins. It was called like the the bunny the great bunny picnic, but that that's where mm. he started. And as I understand it, Hanson had a fondness for that character, which is why he uh, he he comes back in this. Right, it's really. Um really cute looking it's worth mentioning this one you know uh jim henson of course was dead and did not do the voice of kermit the frog but instead he was done by steve uh, whitmire who besides being a longtime muppeteer uh did the voice of rizzo the rat and also did the voice of kermit the frog on the muppet babies cartoon so what do you think of steve whitmire's uh kermit compared to jim henson i it's it, it's higher pitched, I'd say. I can I can tell the difference, but that's only because I've always paid close attention to the voices of animated and puppet characters. That being said, I don't mind the difference. He does a very he does a very good Kermit the Frog. He's mm-hmm. not impersonating Kermit the Frog. He is Kermit the Frog. Yeah, no, I think it's great. Uh, it's also worth mentioning that uh, Frank Oz, who puppeteered and voiced uh, a lot of characters like Fozzie and Piggy. Did a little bit of puppeteering on Miss Miss Muppet Christmas Carol, but by this time his directing career had really taken off. Um, I can't name off the top of my head. He would have done like Little Shop of Horrors and uh, I don't like. Did he do Death Becomes Her? No, that's Zemeckis. Uh, anyway, his his uh, Frank Oz's film career really took off. So he 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 voiced all his characters, but he wasn't able to do much puppeteering. And a lot of the puppeteering for his characters was done by Kevin Clash who um, puppeteered and voiced uh, the modern incarnation of Elmo, uh, among other things. So, um, 
in uh, this Muppet Christmas Carol, uh, you got Michael Caine, and uh, he was apparently always their number one choice. Uh, who do you think would have been the number two choice? Do you think they might have considered someone like Tim Curry? Because Tim Curry did play Scrooge in a Broadway musical of A Christmas Carol uh, around 2001. Tim, Tim Curry has two... When Tim Curry's sinister, he's too high energy sinister. I think that would be, mm. I think that would be inappropriate for for Scrooge. Scrooge is a very sort of brooding kind of maliciousness. Honestly, the only the only possible number two that bounces around my mind is Patrick Stewart. But of course, Patrick Stewart did play Scrooge in a TV movie of A Christmas Carol several years later. Yeah, and a made-for-cable TNT uh, movie, right? And he also did that as like a record and a stage show, a one-man show. For several years. Also, there was a, a made-for-TV Christmas Carol um, musical uh, starring Kelsey Grammer as Scrooge. Huh. And that that show, specifically those songs, are what were done for the Tim Curry run of the Broadway show. Uh, was based on... That, that, that's all from the same stage source material. That's neither here nor there. I just like to mention Tim Curry, at least one, se- one episode of sequel cast. Oh, oh, absolutely. And also John Lovitz. John Lovitz. Well, well, well. Hey, I'm John Lovitz. I'm Ebenezer Scrooge. This stinks. Christmas stinks. Get to know me! Uh, but, uh, no, actually, he would have, actually, he would have made a good ghost of Christmas present. But this movie, I believe this was my first exposure to Michael Caine, and it really left an impression on me. I think it was for me as well. This was uh, Muppet Christmas Carol was the first Muppet movie I saw in the theater. Um, because I lived overseas when the other ones came out, and was really I was born in '82, so you know, um, I would have been two years old when Muppets Take Manhattan came out. But right, uh, I think it, what's really funny is uh, years later, my sister and I and her fiance went to the theater to see Batman Begins, and Michael Caine comes on as Alfred the Butler, and my sister leans over to me and says, "Oh, it's Scrooge is uh, Alfred." <laughs> Oh. Yes, the ghosts of Christmas made him immortal, and then he decided to continue to do good works by helping Batman. And uh, this is the last time I'm going to use the phrase on the DVD audio commentary, but it's it's a neat source of information. I recommend Muppet fans listen to it. For Muppet Christmas Carol, they said, even from the first read-through, Michael Caine got thin- the way to play off the best of the Muppets is to play it like you're doing Shakespearean theater, play it totally straight. And that makes the jokes stand out that more in contrast, especially in Muppet's Christmas Carol, which, uh, to be frank, doesn't have that many jokes compared to some of the other Muppet films. It doesn't have, you know, zany cameos or anything, except if we only call Muppet characters cameos. No, those aren't. They're, they're um, part of the cast. They're not cameos. Yeah, it's part of the but cast. No, I love how straight Michael Caine plays it. It really helps enforce the menace of Scrooge. He's just this perfect... He, he, he's a kid... He, you are... At least when I was a kid, I was really... I was kind of scared mm. of him. Not that I well, thought also, he also was of doing me any harm. He's just such a horrible presence that I was just terrified of what it would be like to just have to share a room with him for even a minute. Look at his teeth in the film. He has, like, gleaming gold and silver teeth. Like, that's, like, a, a, a British smile, if you will. <laughs> it's very terrifying. And he, like, screams like no one's business. Like, Kermit's just asking for Christmas the... F- for I almost said Christmas the frog. That's idiotic. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Kermit is asking for, you know, Christmas off for him and the rat workers that are freezing. And he's like, but this is a day we lose productivity. I I, I suppose you can have Christmas off. 
And, uh, yeah, I mean, he comes off as evil and frightening, and he's just about perfect. Well, that's the thing with, like, M- Michael Caine, you know, he'll always talk very softly, and then at some point in his dialogue, he, s- he always snaps. There's a lovely YouTube clip I have to post online. It's from a BBC series that later was recut into a film called, uh, I think, The Trip or something, starring Stephen Coogan and another British comedian. Uh, was a part Stephen where they Coogan, do- Michael Caine. Yeah, they do dueling Michael Caines, and they're both uh, wonderfully amazing. Even Michael Caine saw that clip and said he was flummoxed, and he was really shocked at how great they were. You know, I've, see, I've seen that <laughs> clip. It's, it's really quite nice. Michael Caine talks like this until he gets very cross. And as Michael Caine gets older, he swallows his words and, and, and takes a lot of, of pauses because he's very serious and sad. We we could all agree that Michael Caine was the perfect choice for Scrooge in this film. I I wish they would have had a scene where he would have like slapped Miss Piggy around or something. Like it wouldn't have been out of the question. What he no. comes off as that he comes off as that nasty. Well, that, well, that's that's the the thing. You know, he <laughs> Scrooge's I don't want to say evil, but Scrooge's menace comes from what he doesn't do, comes from what he withholds, not from what he will actually do. He is one of the most passive-aggressive figures. Well, and yet, yet I can't call him a villain, though, because it is, in the end, a story of redemption. He starts as the villain and becomes the hero. And you look at Christmas Carol, uh, which is a story now, you know, I think it's 100 years old at least, if not more. And Much you look more. in modern times, at least as of this recording, you know, July of 2012, with uh, in the United States and around the world, economic crisis, the it, whole Occupy movement. It's over 160 years old, by the way. Oh, over 160 years old. Thank you, Thrasher. You, you think of the whole Occupy movement, and uh, in a way, inadvertently, the Christmas Carol spells that out. Scrooge is the 1%, everyone else. Uh, Cratchit is the 99%, everyone else is. And uh, in, in many ways, this is a story about economics. As well as uh, uh, you know, sort of a story about a man who who opens up and becomes a, a, a better human being by realizing his own faults. Uh, there's a lot of really deep uh, themes uh, to be mined in here, and Michael Caine and the actor that plays you know the younger version of him and all the various co- uh, ghosts of I almost said toast uh, the various ghosts of Christmas past, present, and future uh, help spell out the different themes of this film. Can we talk? Can we talk about those ghosts for a moment? Yes. Well, for, we first, mean. I love I love the introduction of the Marley at the Marley Brothers. The way the way they, I love how they took advantage of the of the description of Marley's being weighted down with chains connected to these heavy locked cash boxes. But mm. I love that when they do their whole song, you know, about about why they're tortured ghosts and the 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 money boxes start to sing. That is such an awesome design touch. And the music is kind of scary, too, even though Statler and Waldorf are these characters that, frankly, hate all the other Muppets. Well, they're, well I mean, they're, they're, they're threatening. They're I mean, hecklers. They're, they're, yeah. they're, the, uh, they're, they're the, the preemptive Greek chorus of, uh, of Scrooge's journey through damnation and redemption. They, they, they really kick off the supernatural fantasy element of the story uh, quite well. And... Um, the ghost of Christmas past in this really scares me. And I'm not sure if they used some CG. They had to use some CG with it, I no, imagine. No, they didn't. 
Really? Uh, How I can, do they I do that? that. So it, it, it's like it's like a wispy female ghost. Well, I mean, it, it is, and they, the I face mean, looks kind of human, but kind of not. It's very uh, disturbing. Well, what they do is it, it is digitally superimposed on the scene, but the real trick, the way they really got that ethereal look with like the flowing, the gently flowing robes and whatnot. Uh, what it is, is it is it's a foam rubber puppet that is meant to look much more human than any of the other right. Muppets to the point where it almost seems seems out of place, which I think helps. It makes it more more alien and more more supernatural. But the way they accomplish that effect is that when the original puppet was filmed, it was filmed in a tank of water. Hmm. So the reason its hair and its clothing moves like that is because it, it, it is in a it is being filmed through a tank of water where all those parts of its body are going to flow like that. They used a similar technique on Muppets Tonight when Prince was the special guest and he sang a song about angels and they used that to get they used that same technique to get this amazing effect on all the angels that appeared. Running diagnostics in three, two. Men like that is a podcast. Good so far. That really sucks. Oh no! Shut her down. No, shut her down. They thought they could make something funny. They can't do anything. They can't. Abort do mission. They can't. Listen to men like that. I've got a great idea for a podcast. You and me, we watch movies, right? And some of them are kind of bad, and so we make fun of them. But maybe some of them are good. Chris, that's a great idea. Let's do it. And eat snacks. Movie Fighters, an original idea on the Greenlit Podcast Network. Oh, it's really interesting. And uh, yeah, it's definitely an otherworldly effect. It's a. Uh... One of the creepier of the ghosts, and you get to. And uh, speaking of which, you might as well talk about a difference between the two cuts of the film. Oh yeah. So I mean, and the way this is done is so weird. I don't think there's another film that's been quite like this as far as different cuts. So you know, there's test screenings, which are a common practice in uh, Hollywood, not just for big budget pictures, even low budget stuff. I wouldn't call it a practice. I'd call it a mistake or a bad habit. Um. I don't know. So I, I think it can be useful to have a fresh set of eyes look at something. But anyway, there there was a song uh, done for the film that was sort of a the song of I think it's called like so this is love or something. The love is gone. For lo- the love is gone when love is gone when love is gone. Um, it's a very you know sad song about Scrooge reminiscing about this uh, girlfriend he once had that he you know thinks in retrospect perhaps he should have married instead of uh, you know focusing on his work so much. And for test screenings, uh, the kids just got bored shitless by it, so they cut it out of the film. But it's also kind of the heart of the film. It kind of spells out one of the first uh, inklings where you think, oh, this Scrooge character might, uh, might, turn, might turn a new leaf, might uh, redeem himself somewhat, uh, what he might have been more like in his younger years. He wasn't always the asshole he is as an old man. And um, for the video release on videotape, they uh, reinstated that scene. And then later on the DVD, uh, they have uh, the movie in full frame, meaning it, it doesn't fill up your whole TV unless you have a, an old-fashioned 4 by 3 ratio TV, a square TV. Luddites. And the wide... Sc- what? Luddites. Luddites, right. And uh, the widescreen version of the film. And the widescreen version of the film does not have the extra song. And I imagine the ratio for the widescreen version of the film... Uh, hopefully exists somewhere that you know the director brian henson says it was a mistake that they cut it out of the film to begin with it's kind of the heart and soul of the film blah 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 so uh i think that that's really interesting and that it's not only different cut it's a different aspect ratio 
it's which is a shame because I, I would love to see it restored because it is it is a good song and and as an adult I really appreciate it. I remember when we got it on uh, VHS the the following year and we watched it around Christmas time, and no one remembered that. Well, of course, no one could remember that song, but it, but everybody I was watching it with was immediately very confused. And well, I don't recall this. When did this happen? And also, furthermore, there are two additional songs on top of that that weren't in the film but are on the soundtrack album. One is a song by Sam the Eagle as the headmaster, and uh, there's another song by Bunsen and Beaker. I'm not sure how that would work out. I haven't heard those songs, but um, they were recorded and mixed and, you know, all, all this stuff. They got pretty far along, and they decided, well, this is a long movie anyway for a Muppet film. We need to keep things shorter and have less songs in it, which is weird. Because the other Muppet films had plenty of song and dance numbers. But maybe, they, you know, every time you have a song into the story, it makes it seem maybe a little bit less serious at times. So who knows? Um, the Young Scrooge, I think, is pretty good, but, you know, it's no Michael Caine. No, if, if only that, they could have made a young Michael Caine Muppet and use him for the, for the Young Scrooge. Oh, God, and, and pitched up his voice. I'm Michael Caine. No, he should have the same voice. I'm done with my studies, Ed Master. <laughs> I'm gonna go outside. Goes to Christmas present. Fat Jolly with the big beard. Voiced by Frank uh, Oz, I believe. I think I think you might be right. Yeah, very like oh ho ho, let's go do this. Oh ho ho, look at all this. Oh, that's an amazingly well realized character and very true to the uh, the the Dickensian version. Right, and I mean, yeah, another. A movie that took a lot of cues from the original Christmas Carol story, of course, is "It's a Wonderful Life" by Frank Capra. That whole that whole movie is almost based on the Ghost of Christmas Present segment from Christmas Carol, the the novella. Well, no, that's the go- no. Clarence is the Ghost of Christmas parallel universes. Right, but it's the same idea as what's going ar- around when you're not there, and and so forth. It is, uh, anyway, you got that, you got Christmas Yet to Come, which is always done as a Grim Reaper in cloaks kind of, uh, a skeleton in a cloak kind of character with a bony hand, bony finger. I wish they'd do a different weird design, but it looks the same no matter what version of this well, it's, Christmas Carol that's the way story Dickens that you see. It, and that's the way it was illustrated in the original print edition. Whatever. I, I don't think it's very inspired looking, but it is, it is creepy. The voice is creepy. Or it's no voice, it just points and stuff. And I think it's size, like you kind of get just a gentle <sighs> sometimes. Yeah. And Michael Caine acts the hell out of those scenes. Oh, he, he uh, canes it up. He canes it up a notch, yeah. And he he raises the cane. Oh god. <laughs> he extends the cane. There you go. But no can we talk about that? Like I love <laughs> I love the ghost of Christmas present they do in this movie, and I love that he, he speaks I think I think all of his dialogue is just taken directly from the the book. I I mm-hmm. don't think he says anything that isn't taken directly from the source material. No, I think you're right. And uh it's also interesting in this film you talk about characters being toned down. Miss Piggy isn't like the raving maniac she is in like every other Muppet movie. Well, remember that's that's cuz Miss Piggy is playing this character. Right. It's not she Miss had a Piggy. really good acting it's, coach. it's a role Miss Piggy is playing. Yep. So And she can be quite the actress when she wants to be. 
no, definitely. It's uh, that's all pretty interesting. And uh, so with Michael Caine, the way he plays Scrooge, do you buy it when he gets redeemed at the end? Because that's a moment that can ring false in some of these adaptations of Christmas Carol. No, he's he's been he's been through hell. I do buy it. Hmm. Uh, speaking of other versions of this story, did you ever see the uh, theatrical musical? I think starring Alistair uh, Finney. Oh shit! I must have seen it. I've seen so many versions of this. I'm, I'm sure that I one has the song at the end where he's through the street celebrating, and he goes, "Thank you very much, thank you very much. That's the nicest thing anyone's ever done for me." And it was done by the same um, music and lyricist that did uh, Oliver the musical. Huh. And they also did some James Bond numbers like Thunderball. Anyway, I recall that one being pretty good. But you're you're right as far as there being countless versions of this story. And Michael Caine, happy, is almost weird. But I mean, can you? I, I was thinking off the top of my head just now. You know who else could have made a good uh, Scrooge? Oh. Willem Dafoe. Ooh, I could see that. But can you imagine? Whenever Willem Dafoe acts nice, it never works. <laughs> is I don't know if it's his face. Or he tries to lay it on too thick, and it's not his fault. He's a great actor. I think. But. I think it all comes from the face, because his eyes only ever look menacing or crazy. He, he actually did. I mean, he actually did a really good uh, Tars Tarkas and and John Carter of Mars, and he could be happy in that. But but that's just his voice. The the thing is, if they had done Willem Dafoe, when when he says the line about you know a, uh, a Christmas reveler being buried with a steak of ho- boiled in his own pudding and buried in the steak of holly <laughs> from his heart, you will fucking believe that Willem Dafoe would boil a man in his own pudding and then dram a steak full of holly through his heart. Right. I mean, I'm trying to think of. Yeah, no, John Candy would have been ridiculous, I think, as Scrooge. I'm just and dead. People off the top of my head. By 92? No. He lived a few more years after Did this. Did he? Yeah, he, Wagons East was his, uh, Wagons East and the um, Canadian Bacon were his last two films. And those were like in 95, 96. Huh. <clears throat> hmm. But no, Muppets well, Christmas Carol, I think, is a... Oh, go on. What was what you saying? What what do you think about what do you think about the device of having Gonzo playing Charles Dickens and he and Rizzo serving as as narrators and commenters on the action? I almost would have rather to have seen Kermit in that part. I don't know. I think Gonzo as um, Cratchit. No, uh, I think it might have been a bit to be Bob Cratchit. But I don't, it, it just seems weird. Gonzo is just so strange to have him put on a hat and be in the narrator. He does find the um, the actor and the Muppeteer, uh, Dave Gweltz or whatever, uh, however you pronounce that, that does a great job of uh, uh, line readings and puppeteering. But uh, for some, it always struck me weird, like, Gonzo? Gonzo, that's the one you pick? And yet, when challenged to think of someone else other than Kermit, uh, well, yeah, I, I don't know. Well, the thing is, aside from Kermit, Gonzo is the most driven artist on the Muppets, so I think it really is only fitting that he plays the great Dickens. Yeah, that could be. I don't know. I, I, I always struck me as a weird choice, but I can't think of any alternative. Um, gee, Big Bird? I don't know. That's not really <laughs> no, Muppet. although it would have been fun to have to, for him to have a cameo. 
he could have been the roasted turkey at the end that they served. The, the roasted goose. The yeah. Cratchits. Get me, get me the largest goose. goose. And then, like, you know, he, like, he like, he like, like, you know, uh, Big Bird would look up really shocked. Okay, get me the second largest bird. <laughs> it would have been a cute gag. Right. Yep. Oh, me? Exactly. Um, it's nice to see Robin, who's, who's like usually Kermit's cousin, as uh, the cripple in this story. You mean Tiny Tim? He has Tiny Tim, yes. <laughs> and uh, it's a real nice scene earlier in the film where Tiny Tim and Bob Cratchit are walking along the street oh, and they're uh, kind of yeah. doing a scat version, humming a, a song from the film. Yeah, it, it really works, and I love the way that scene is accomplished with like that rolling, fake street that they're walking on. I think I think using Robin as Tiny Tim is a good choice, and and one thing that does jump out is there are so many, there are it's so many Christmas specials that don't make any reference to Christianity, and and, and you know I, I guess that's you know they're done because they don't want to alienate certain members of the audience or offend certain members of the audience. But I do, I do, I do like the mention that it, that they're that they're coming home from church, which which, you know, why wouldn't they? Right, it's uh, pretty neat. Okay, so with all that in mind, what do you think of the Muppets Christmas Carol? Would you recommend it? I I would. I mean, it's a gr- it's a great adaptation of the Muppets Christmas Carol. Although you probably, if you don't know who or what the Muppets are, it, it probably does seem like a weird adaptation, and it probably is the least outright Muppety of any of the Muppet movies. But it's mm-hmm. I find it very good. I find it very charming. It's mm-hmm. brilliant casting, good songs, very faithful to the source material. Every you know you know what it is. It's it's like it's. It's it's like a slightly burned Christmas pudding. All the best ingredients are in it. All the most care is taken, but it gets just so slightly burned. But it's still good once you chip away that that outer layer. It, that, that's what I think this movie is like. That's interesting. Yeah, no, I think that the Muppets Christmas Carol I think is one of the weaker of the theatrical films, in my opinion. Uh, but Michael Caine does a hell of a performance. Oh, yeah. It 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 certainly tries something different. It just doesn't strike me as especially uh, especially Muppety. So, but so that's my thoughts on Muppet Muppet Christmas Carol. Mm-hmm. Now we'll go on to our next segment, Sequel Cast Theater, in which Thrasher and I uh, uh, each perform different scenes from the film we're talking about. In this case, Muppet's Christmas Carol. And you, the listener, get to vote either on YouTube or on Facebook.com slash SequelCast. Who does the better performance? Well, what are the results from the last one we did? I only have the results from the Muppet movie one because of when we were recording this episode. Oh, well, the polls are still open, folks. Or, yeah, or maybe are... not by this point. Right. So, um, let me, uh, I will, again, are you clear what scene you're doing, Thrasher? Uh, I'm assuming I'm doing the second one. That's the way we've usually done it. Yep. So, I, I'm doing a scene uh, just to set the stage. It's a flashback scene with, uh, or goes to Christmas past, but it's with Yen Scrooge uh, in school talking to his headmaster, played by the Muppet Sam the Eagle. Tomorrow you become a man of business. I'm looking forward to it, headmaster. Hmm, you will love business. It is the American way, Sam. Oh, it is the British way. Yes, headmaster. (laughs) All right. 
Thrasher, what's your scene? Uh, my scene uh, is tor- is uh, towards the end of the film. It's after Scrooge has been redeemed, but before he's broken the news to anybody. So he's just barged in on the Cratchit family's Christmas dinner. Bob Cratchit, I've had my fill of this. And I've had my fill of you, Mr. Scrooge. And therefore, Bob Cratchit, and therefore you can leave this house at once. And therefore, I'm about to raise your salary. Oh, and I'm about to raise you right off the pavement. Pardon? You pardon? Very good. So who did better, Matt or Thrasher? Uh, Send in your vote. Either go to YouTube, look up Sequel Cast, Sequel Cast Theater for Muppet Christmas Carol. Or the easier thing probably is go to Facebook.com slash Sequel Cast and check that out on there and add your comments on there. So, and of course, to check out any of the old episodes of SequelCast, go to SequelCast.com or look up SequelCast on iTunes. Uh, we're going to go into our next segment, pitch a sequel, in which we pretend none of the sequels existed after this film, in this case, Muppet Christmas Carol. I'll begin. So, um, considering, you know, Muppet's Christmas Carol is starting a new sort of series of films based off of classic literature, I think it would be interesting to do the Muppet Siddhartha, the, the Muppets uh, doing the tale of Buddha. <laughs> And I think you would do it, um, you'd have to be a bit more sarcastic. I don't think you could do it very sincere because it would have like almost no dialogue being about a, a rich man giving up his riches and going on a quest, a journey across the world to find himself. <laughs> and uh, the Muppet Siddhartha. Wow. Call it. I, I, that's, that's off the wall. I, I love that you're, you're pitching a movie about the Buddha without any sincerity. That is terrible. I, th- I mean, I, I really enjoyed that book, reading it in high school. I think I'd like it even more now. But um, that, that take on the Buddha legend. And I, I think as Buddha, you would have uh, Fozzie Bear. Really? Yep. Not Kermit. Not Kermit. You do Fozzie Bear. And uh, I think he'd go with Pepe the Shrimp. Well, I gotta, th- I gotta say, uh, the, the demon Mara would be terrifying done as a Muppet. I think that would be pretty cool. Absolutely. You might even have Miss Piggy play the Demon Mara. No. That'd be too much. No. Well, I think it'd be a very unique take to take Muppets into Eastern religious... uh, It's funny, you you go to that, but not like Muppets Journey to the West. I mean, they've already got a pig. Nope. Nope. You have to do the the version that'll get the least box office results possible. (laughs) The Muppet Siddhartha. Uh, the Tale of Buddha. Really? You think that's more obscure than Journey to the West to an uh, uncultured modern audience? Yeah, I, I think that the style of story is more obscure. It's, it's, it's more of a story of introspection than exploration. True. So what, what's your pitch for a sequel? <laughs> well, I figure if, if, if I'm going to do a, a, a sequel to uh, Muppet Christmas Carol, uh, of course there is no sequel written by Dickens to A Christmas Carol. So instead, you got to go to another Dickens classic. So you do Muppet Great Expectations, where we see Gonzo come back as Charles Dickens with Rizzo the Rat, and uh, the character Pip is initially played by Robin, but then when he gets older, he will be played by Kermit. Uh, and of course, you know, all the other all the, all the other characters will be there. Uh, Mrs. Havisham can be played by a thoroughly aged Janet um, uh, Stella can be played by uh, can be played by Miss Piggy. Uh, Fozzie can be that criminal that Pip helps out, who then becomes a successful gentleman. I th- I think that would be delightful. 
That would. That's uh, really something else. Um, you know, I think that's a, a more commercial take than mine was. Uh, uh, great well, speaking of which, I, I have a fun books, story so really I... quick about one of your friends. Pardon? I have a fun story about one of your friends. Oh, do tell. Beth Gilmer, friend of the show. Yes. Uh, so there, uh, film director Kevin Smith has a series on Hulu called Spoilers. Cool. Uh, where he takes an audience of, uh, pays for tickets for a normal audience to see a movie and then has them talk, review it. Interesting. As opposed to professional film critics. That's the, that's the idea behind the show. And uh, he was reading tweets on there. He read a tweet from a uh, fan of the show, Beth Gilmer. Excellent. Asking, why don't you read positive tweets? Why do you only read negative tweets on the show? And uh, Kevin Smith kind of gave a bumbling answer. Um, Which was? I, I don't recall what the answer was, but I just I just heard the name. I'm like, oh my God, that's Beth Gilmer. I know her. She's <laughs> talked about Muppets with me on Twitter a lot. Uh, so yeah, she's pretty cool. Def- yeah, definitely I check guess. out her Twitter feed. Yep. Um, all right. So we just did pitch a sequel. For the <laughs> yes, next we did. Segment. What you watching? And what you're talking about a piece of media we've been enjoying uh, over the past week. I'll begin. I have been uh, playing a game on the Xbox 360, uh, on the Xbox Live, um, called Penny Arcade uh, Episode 1. Yeah. It's like the Rain Slick of Darkness or something, Episode 1. It's a, it came out like three or four years ago. It's a pretty old XBLA game, but the reason why is they just came out with Part 3 done by a different developer, and I thought, oh, I better check these out. And um, so it's an RPG, but the battle is done in the style of Super Mario RPG. So it's like Final Fantasy turn-based, but with some active button pressing during the fight sequences. Uh, I, I think the the writing, the, the dialogue is very funny. One thing that's kind of off-putting, you have voice acting for the narrator, who's this wonderful, crotchety, old man voice, who's really sarcastic, who says, um, you know, things along the line of, I'm not quoting exactly here, where he's like, uh, and so they opened the door very slowly, as doors often do. Yeah, he, he says I don't like doors my with such total gravitas. Yeah, everything has gravitas, and yet there's not voices for all the other characters, and um, that that really I, that disappoints me. I kind of wish they would have, and I think the reason why is at the time Xbox Live games had a limitation as far as what their maximum download size could be. And in fact, at the time, it was controversial because it cost the equivalent of $20 for an Xbox Live Arcade game, mm. which uh, was a rarity at the time, especially because the game's supposed to be pretty short. Uh, but I'm enjoying it. It's actually really, really difficult as well. Uh, I have a feeling I'm about halfway through it, but uh, I think it played the demo. I don't know if I'd recommend the game, but I've heard, uh, especially the third one that just came out, that has more of a retro 2D look to the graphics instead of the 3D look, I've heard is much better, so... Cool. But I don't want to play it in order, as you see. Uh, what is something you've been enjoying the past week, Thrasher? Well, what some, you watching? Some, something I've been enjoying. Uh, the uh, as you know, a, a, anyone who's heard me plug any of the uh, the 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 projects that I've worked on, such as D Infinity Magazine, the quarterly multi-platform gaming supplement, or Muerte al Chupacabra for Cthulhu Live Third Edition, you know, knows that I'm, I'm I, I I'm on both you know both ends of the whole gaming production line. Um, but, uh, recently, you know, I had, I had my birthday, uh, last month, 
and I was very fortunate that I got a copy, uh, I was given a copy of uh, the board game Rex, which is a spin-off. Yes, board games do have spin-offs now. It's a spin-off of the Fantasy Flight board game Twilight Imperium. It takes place in the same science fiction space opera universe, but it takes place, it's a prequel to Twilight Imperium that takes place during the collapse of the Lazix Empire. And I, you know, I, I've, I've, you know, unboxed it. And the thing, Fantasy Flight games, board games have pretty high production value. So, you know, I just unboxed it and have been really enjoying the artwork, uh, devouring the rules, and am now in the awkward position of trying to find people to actually play it. Because uh, any board game at this level of complexity, you have to sink a certain mm. amount of time into. And the fact that it's a new game and it will be most people's first experience with the games, it'll be a learning process, and that means it's probably going to take another hour, hour and a half to play out. But it's... I've done everything short of play this game, and I've really enjoyed that. So hopefully when I can get some people to play it with me, uh, uh, we'll, we'll kick it off the rest of the way and we'll have a good time. But it's very it seems to be very well designed. I can't wait to see how the stuff works out in practice. Hmm. Yeah, it's uh, that is kind of the tough thing when you play a game with all those rules. It's almost like the first few times you play it, it's kind of a wash because you're trying to understand how the mechanics work in practice. Well, it's not it's not too complicated. It's well, it's not too complicated so long as you can realize that you're not playing one ridiculously complicated game. You're playing about three to four very simple games all at the same time. That's how I keep it straight in my head. Also, something that's fascinating. Uh, it, you can go up to five players uh, with this game, and it's all about it's all about controlling territory. The winner is the person who can hold a certain amount of territory uh, for a certain amount of time. But what's fascinating is part of the game involves making and breaking alliances. And what's interesting is if you make an alliance with somebody, you can sh uh, you can both win if you collectively hold a certain amount of territory for a certain amount of time. Hmm. So, so that part of the game changes. So, as you play the game, you know, y you may decide it's more expedient to share victory with another player rather than try to go for victory yourself. But at the same time, while alliances can be made, they can also be broken. So, so you have to wonder: Is the other player going to break the alliance the moment it's to his ad advantage to do so? So, where could you get? Um a copy of it from your local store? Uh, online, I, yeah, I would or? recommend going to your friendly local game store. Uh, uh, and sadly, if you if you do not have one, then you'll you just you know go ahead and order it online. Or, hell, go to Gen Con and buy it directly from the company. Uh, I will be at Gen Con with Kettlefish Productions uh, doing uh, several live-action role-playing game events. I'll also be repping for Skirmisher while I'm on site. So definitely, you know, check me. Oh, and I should be attending the Gamer, uh, the gamer Podcasting, Podcaster Gathering. Um, what is that going to be like? You think? Uh, it's really it's it, to the best of my knowledge, uh, it's just going to be a bunch of gaming podcasters in a room chatting and and uh, you know just you know enjoying our hobby and enjoying what we do. Um, I know the the people from Fear the Boot are going to be there. Uh, the a lot of a lot of the pulp gamer people are going to be there. Uh, you know, with any luck, we'll be able to do some cross promotion. You'll be able to name drop. You know, and it should it should just generally be fun. They're they're good shows. 
You should bring your laptop with you and try to record some bits of people talking about sequels they've enjoyed. All, all I need is a laptop. Them. But no, I actually seriously do want to get their comments on the Dungeons & Dragons movies so that we can uh, so that we can splice those into those episodes and we inevitably do them. And hey, there's a third Dungeons & Dragons movie coming out. Really? Yes, there is. Live action? Live action. Uh, made for Sci-Fi Channel again? Uh, I believe... I believe it's direct to DVD. I don't know if it's going to be straight to Sci-Fi Channel or not. Uh, what is it called? Uh, let me look this up. I just read about I'm it the sorry. other day. Did they announce it at Comic Con or something? Uh, no, no. This, this the announcement came out. Uh, actually, I think it's almost done. Uh, it's it, oh. it was a while. It was a, a week or two ago. I heard about that. Third D D movie. Let me see here. Let me see if I can track this down. There's a trailer for it, actually. Oh, there you go. What's the title? Um, this article does not list the title, so let me... It, actually, the title might the not have been finalized yet. Oh, here we go. The Book of Vile Darkness. That's a boring title. Well, it's, it's named after an actual book from D&D. The production values look on par with the second one. Well, the production values on the second one appeared to be better than the first one. Yeah. Um, hmm. Weird. Okay. <laughs> this is, I'm reading a comment about it. Did I misread it, or is it called The Book of Vile Darlings? No, Vile Darkness. Yeah, but that's funny. Named after the evil spellbook from the role-playing game. Pretty cool. All right, we should wrap that up on that note. Yeah, so we include this discussion of the Muppets Christmas Carol by talking about the Book of Vile Darkness. Dungeons and Dragons 3. When that comes out, we'll have to do the Dungeons and Dragons shows. Will it stink? Stay tuned to the sequel cast to find out. Or yeah, check out past episodes at sequelcast.com or look us up on iTunes or uh, go to facebook.com slash sequelcast is the best way to get in contact with us. Next week, we'll be talking about the Muppet Treasure Island. With Tim uh, Curry. Tim Curry. Oh, your little, your little boy, Jack Sparrow. Miss Piggy. I, I never want to hear your voice ever again. Oh, you lovelies. Vile okay. darkness, yes. So, uh, for the sequel cast, this is Matt. <laughs> and this is Thrasher. Saying. Michael Kane, Michael Kane, Michael Kane. Michael Kane. <laughs> Michael Kane. Batman. No, me, Kane. Batman. Ho, ho, ho. I should have I watched you. Master Bruce, but I didn't. And now, we're both paying the price. <laughs> There's a scene like that in the trailer for the new film. I, I don't think I've seen the latest trailer. Oh, okay. Alright, well, good night. That was fun. Good night. It is the season of the heart. A special time of caring. Yeah.
Listen to singing on the street, on a choir. It's going home and getting warm by the fire. It's true wherever you find love, it feels like Christmas.